Hi there, everyone. On today's show, we continue our conversation with Mark Bala about worldwide sanitation. And some of the topics get, well, graphic. So just fair warning, be careful of your sensitive ears. This one does get slightly explicit. Now, on to the show. Hi there, everyone. I'm Gwen Jones, and welcome once again to the I'm a Rotarian podcast, the weekly podcast where I introduce you to amazing people that proudly call themselves Rotarians. Well, this week is part two of my amazing conversation with Mark Bala. Mark decided to come back because uh, we didn't have enough time for our first conversation. As you well know, Mark is the toilet warrior. And after our first conversation, I was gobsmacked. So I had to have him back. And so he is. So join us, won't you? Mark Bella, part two on today's podcast. And as always, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome back to part two two with Mark Bala. He decided to come back. This is a week since the last time we talked, but I'm sure if you listened to that last podcast, you were a bit gobsmacked. You were a bit like, I never thought of a billion people not being able to go to the bathroom. So uh, I was shocked. Mark was willing to come back. So the toilet warrior is back with us again to tell us about his book, to tell us about his project, Operation Toilets, and to enlighten us a little bit more on um, on the Biffy, the Lou, the Outhouse, the Head, which I never liked that one, better known as the Toilet. Welcome back, Mark. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Gwen. So <laughs> this is going to be a weekly event now. I don't, I don't know. I was so, I, I tell you, I had, I, after our first conversation, I went up to the house from my studio and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going <laughs> to, I'm never going to sit on a toilet again. And actually, I mean, this is true. I'm never, I didn't sit on the toilet for the rest of that night without going, wow, this is a luxury. This exactly. is to sit yeah. down and have, yeah. and it has a fan. And it has some pretty artwork on the wall and there was a towel and there was running water for me to wash my hands afterwards. So remind everybody. And you can flush it all away too. And I can flush it away. So remind people how much of a one percenter I am because I have all that stuff. And that's just the guest bath, which I guess really makes me an elitist, right? Yeah. We've got three, we've got three in our house. It's a bit embarrassing really. So. So what is the average? So that's a great question. Then how many, what, what is the average amount worldwide of toilets in a house? You know what? I I don't know, but I know in Australia, having two is just really, really common. Uh, And in fact, you know, I'm sure like in the US, you know, many houses, particularly new houses, uh, there's an ensuite bathroom. So you have a private bathroom for the main bedroom. Right. And then you have a guest bathroom, which everyone else gets to use. Which is, yeah, which is where I went after our interview and thought to myself, oh, my God, I feel downright aristocratic (laughs) that I have this, that we in America here, speaking for my side of the of the world here, you know, it is very common to have. This is the bathroom that the guests use. This is not the everyday bathroom. It's certainly not the bathroom that I show people where I shower or I shave or I do all that kind of stuff. So. Tell us, a, a, give us a, for people who are just checking in and thinking we have an overabundant need to talk about toilets, remind us really quickly who you are and what you do, just in case somebody's 
checking in on part two and hasn't okay, heard part so, one yet. Uh, okay, so I'm Mark Bala, as you said in the introduction. I'm uh, the immediate past president of the Rotary Club of Box Hill Central in District 9810 in Melbourne, Australia. I'm a current assistant governor in that district, and I'm also on the board of the WASH Rotary Action Group, which used to be known as WASRAG. Um, I think many Rotarians will be aware of WASRAG. Uh, and that's basically a group of people within Rotary who are passionate about all things water, sanitation, and hygiene. Which, I and before you turn this t- podcast off and thinking this is the most boring subject, we will tell you that literally, what? how many people do not have toilets? You said a billion people? About a billion worldwide don't have access to a proper toilet. Yeah, amazing. So that alone should keep you pinned for the least few minutes while we talk about some more stuff. Um, In our first podcast, we really kind of uh, beat up India only because that seemed to be where you got your initial passion sparked about um, toilets and about the lack of, I guess we should say. Um, Is there another country? That because you also said in our first podcast that India is doing so much better, like they have taken a huge turn in the right direction of sanitation for its people. Who, what country could be next in line and maybe take an example of India that you can think of? Cool boy, I mean, there's so many. You know, we're we're doing some work in Ethiopia at the moment, where in, in some parts of the country, less than ten percent of people have access to a toilet. Uh, and I've been involved in a project in Guatemala with uh, through the Rotary um, Foundation as a cadre of the technical advisors. Uh, Guatemala tends to have toilets, but not good quality, not enough, and not very good education around it in the in the poorer communities. So that's the other part is you know these these countries throughout Central America, they what they need apart from better quality toilets and more of them, they also need to educate people about personal hygiene. Uh, we have around the world, gosh, I mean, Cambodia is catastrophic. Up to 10% of kids in some parts of Cambodia die before the age of five because of dirty water and because the contents of the toilet is in the street. Um, <clears throat> contents of what we would, where we would put it is in the street because they don't have toilets. Right. Uh, Indonesia is in a horrible situation. The Philippines could be better than it is. Throughout the, the islands of the South Pacific, there are islands there that don't have toilets. Not wow. entire countries, but some some of the smaller communities, you know. So, and if they do, they're a meter above sea level, so they don't have anywhere to dispose of the waste properly. Now, that's an interesting thing because we have talked on uh, one of my podcasts uh, a couple seasons ago. We're with two ladies that live on Saint Martin, and part of our con- our conversation was about one side being run by one country and one side being but by another country, but it did at the end of that podcast talk about uh, the global change in the environment and their environment and how they're one of the few um, rotary districts that actually has somebody uh, in case their country doesn't exist anymore. That's his, his or her position on their international board. But I don't think we think of infrastructure. I think we think of water rising, but I don't think we think of plumbing. So mm-hmm. are, are they just, are they just, it just is going to be in the ocean? Is that because they have no way they yeah. can even put in infrastructure? 
Correct. And look, in some uh, some small community islands, like for instance, I know a story of a, an island off the coast of New Guinea, where um, some Rotarians went in to build toilets for them, and there was a high point, so they were going to build a public toilet, sort of on the hill in the middle of this island, and the locals previously had just been walking into the ocean and doing their business there. Mm-hmm. Uh, small population. The reality was it. it that one small population probably not going to do a lot of damage in the ocean. Uh, yes, the fish will eat it, but uh, that uh, by the time it gets back to being, by the time they catch their fish to eat it, it's probably not going to do any damage. But overall, it's just not where human waste belongs. And of course, we get bigger communities starting to think the same way. It's no good. So, mm-hmm. But in terms of uh, waste management, some of these places, the only solution is going to come up with some some, some kind of composting system where they can actually reuse the waste once it's become free of pathogens because if they don't have a way of reusing it after it becomes free of pathogens you're just going to be overrun particularly in larger places like india so there are and i and i know in our, in our country right now there's this huge if you're inside the beltway as we call it in our government there's a huge back and forth going on about infrastructure but i have to say when most people think infrastructure they bring they think roads and bridges how out of touch do you think we oh. are as a world to toilets? <laughs> like, is it something? So when we talk infrastructure, I mean, I have politicians in my country that are saying infrastructure, roads and bridges. And we've got some others that are saying internet. And I got off the phone with you last week and went, how are our toilets doing? In America? Tell you what, it's pretty scary. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but there, we had an article in the, in the news here just the other day about something called Fatbergs. Have you heard of fat books? No. You probably don't want to be eating when you listen to this. Okay. This is this is the warning, this everybody. Totally gross. So the biggest fat burg ever found, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, was uh, in London. It was 20 times the size of a double-decker bus. Okay. And it was a blockage in the sewer system. And the blockage was a combination of, well, it was the stuff people flush down toilets, which isn't just human waste. There's also flushable wipes, which often are not flushable. Uh, tampons and pads going down the toilet, which don't just break up in the uh, right. water. So things that aren't meant to be flushed get flushed, and then and then you get a bit of food waste in mixed in there. Then you get the human waste, and if you then you get prophylactics in there, all kinds of stuff in there, and it all builds up into a big gunk, revolting stuff, which um, has to be removed, or the the system's actually going to burst. And so and it, it starts back. It's awful, awful. So this one in London, they. They had to get in there with chainsaws to get rid of it. There's one found in Brisbane here in Australia recently, which was eight tons. They had to uh, they had to cut that up. Um, Mexico City, oh my goodness, there, there are people who have full time jobs. This is worth looking for on on YouTube. People have full time jobs. They are su- uh, professional sewer divers who uh, and they get dressed up in in dry suits and uh, they dive into the sewer and they go down deep looking for the things that are blocking it. I mean, it is totally. Revolting, and the thing is, so many sewer systems in the world, in the US, in Europe, in Australia, are hanging on by the the thinnest thread from being okay to not being okay. So, yeah, some of the infrastructure work needs to go into upkeep and maintenance, and the cost of managing that system is huge because of that stuff. Okay, so <clears throat> we talked everything from. Girls not getting educated last week to uh, assault, literally, in the jungle. This is all because of bathrooms. Um, 
compostable ones or non-compostable ones, huge double-decker bus blockages of all kinds you, of stuff. You totally grossed out. I we I know it's like it's like if my <laughs> listeners are still hanging on. The one thing we didn't get to last week, there is a light at the end of the septic tank tunnel. And that's what I want to talk about is how can we fix this? And could you tell us about operation toilets and how if they if people haven't grossed out after these two, what can we do to help now? What can we what can we do? Yeah. So Operation Toilets is a project that my club set up. Uh, basically, I joined the club in uh, 2014. I came with the story of, of the place in the slum that I'd been where the girls had all dropped out of school because of lack of toilets. Great. And, and that my club liked the, liked the story, and they so they got me in as a member. They set up Operation Toilets, and, and the ori- original idea was to build 15 toilets in a school with 500 kids. And I thought, which still doesn't seem like a lot of toilets to me, Mark. You know, that just doesn't seem like a lot of toilets, but okay. It's not a bad ratio. That's kind of an acceptable number for a school that size. You know, we'd probably have more in Australia or in the US for a school that Mm -hmm. size, but not a lot more. Um, Of course, you'd also have separate staff toilets. So this was 15 for the kids and the the teachers. Okay. Um, And my my thought at the time is we're going to do this, and then I will have done what I came for. That'll be it. And I'll One feel I've, you know, <laughs> that, that was it. I didn't have this idea. This is going to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And we finished that first project and it, uh, it was all very exciting. And we had, I think we talked about that briefly last week, mm-hmm. the, the, the longer, longer line for drinking water immediately right. after the toilets were open because the, the girls started drinking water during the day. Right. And that made us realize, gosh, we should be doing more. So then we went to one global grant, two, three, four. And now we're uh, we're currently developing our seventh global grant. Uh, total value of all of them to date is once once that one's on uh, underway, will be over eight hundred thousand US. Um, wow! And, you know, with a, give us another another year, and we we will be very close to a million US in projects. About one hundred twenty thousand kids reached so far. Lots of clubs in the US uh, and in other parts of North America, so in Canada, have become involved in these projects with us. So they they've actually. Uh, We've had um, Julia Phelps, who was a trustee of the Rotary Foundation at the time. She actually came over. Uh, her club put some money in in Massachusetts, and she came over to India to see the project mm-hmm. and to, to be involved in the unveiling, which was a fantastic experience. She's what an, what an amazing woman um, and a huge advocate for this stuff now. And she's in, in my book, and she, she cried when she read it, you know, and she cried when she was at the school. So I knew I was doing something right when I – when I make people cry, I know I'm doing a good job. <laughs> Speaking, we've already grossed them out. It's nice if we can have them cry now for the post for the podcast. Um, so, you know, I mean, one way there's there's a few ways to get involved. One way to get involved is to jump on board with someone who's doing this stuff already and become a financial partner uh, because these projects they need money. And, it's, uh, and are these projects? And before I, I I I'm sorry to interrupt you, <clears> but <throat> projects like this, especially when they're overseas or they're, you know, you're saying the one thing that's great about your project, because we do get questions about this, is that the infrastructure is there that if the dollars go, they won't get flushed down the toilet. They'll actually be used for what they're needed for. I mean, the infrastructure is there in these programs. The project we're doing in Ethiopia, um, Mm -hmm. composting is going to be part of the deal. 
in India, we haven't been doing that. We're using septic tanks in mm -hmm. India, and we have uh, MOUs with the, some memorandum of understanding with local councils. Oh, fantastic. Uh, who will commit to emptying the tanks when that's required, which is uh, sort of four to five years after construction. Mm -hmm. So we're only just now getting to five years since, since the first project, five, six years. So it's only now that we're going to find out if the, these local councils actually stick up to their end of the deal. Are you uh, nervous or you feel good? No, no, I'm not nervous because you know what? If they don't, we'll find a way. I mean, this is, um, these things have been going for a while. I think the local communities would step up as well because they've seen the benefits of this over those, over those years. And keep in mind, it's only the first couple of projects that were finished more than five years ago. Mm -hmm. And because of uh, lost school days in the last year, it may be that none of them need emptying yet, but they're getting close. Again, okay. They're getting close. Um, and then after emptying, they get taken to a sewage treatment plant. So they're going through a proper treatment process. And the the places we're working in India, even if it's smaller communities, it's it is truckable to uh, to sewage treatment plants, which is which is good. Other parts of the world, that's more complicated. And that's why Ethiopia, for example, you need to find a, a composting solution, for example, because they don't have sewage treatment plants outside well, the capital. I was going to say with water being what it is in, in Ethiopia, the last thing they need <clears throat> to use it for is this when it's exactly. you know, survival. Exactly. So you yeah. said there was another part. So financial is one, and there's a lot of projects people can hook onto. What's another yeah. way that we can help? And look, I'll, I'll just sort of tack on to that bit about the financial commitment is, <clears throat> sorry, is understanding that if you are going to do one of your own projects of this kind, absolutely mm -hmm. go for it. There's a lot of people who can advise Oh, sorry. <clears throat> uh, obviously, the Wash Rotary Action Group is a great place to seek advice. Mm -hmm. uh, other clubs in in your district have probably done a toilet project somewhere. There so many clubs in in the world have, particularly in North America, have done a toilet project in Latin America or in the Caribbean. Um, so you'll always be able to find someone who's had some experience in this space. Our projects generally we're looking at one and a half to two years development before we start the project. Ah, you can't okay. just leap in. This is an exercise in patience. And so <laughs> what it means is we're we're now working on our seventh. Now we've been talking about it for a year. Uh, we'll be sending the submission to the Rotary Foundation. I think we'll be sending it in about November. Okay. Uh, then, <clears throat> then by February, they'll come back to us with questions. We'll answer the questions, resubmit in March. In April, they'll approve it. This is kind of... Top of my head thing, they'll approve it April, right. May, June, we'll get started on the project. <clears throat> so it's it's two years. Hmm. And that's just the way it is. But you know, these are big projects too. This is gonna right. it's gonna make a difference to five, six, seven thousand kids. So you know, you, you want to get it right. And it's very, very easy to get it wrong. Right. So and so if you if you've got the it. passion, if if somebody yeah. here has the passion, you have the infrastructure, is what it sounds like, literally. The, we have the we have the understanding. So the, we okay. have the the um, intellectual infrastructure, I guess you'd say. That's a great way to put it. Yes. Yeah, okay. In that we we we've made mistakes on the way. We've learned from them, and we've um, we've fixed them up where they needed fixing, and we've stopped doing them uh, where they shouldn't be done again. Uh, the, those kinds of mistakes. And the biggest mistake we made in the early days was not taking the education side of it seriously. Um, hmm. Our biggest project is a 254,000 US dollar global grant, which I think is a big global grant by any yeah, standard. Uh, absolutely. And that's working with uh, the Rotary, Rotary Club of Delhi Ashoka in, in New Delhi in India. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a club that is 
has got some seriously, seriously smart people in it uh, with the capacity to take on big projects and run them well, very well connected and so on. Um, that that project, um, I'm losing my train of thought there. So that, that's our biggest one. That's right. More than 70% of the money in that project is going to the education side of it. And when you say the education side of it, what is what does that entail? I mean, is that <clears throat> washing your hands? Is it as easy as that That's kind of education? Of it. It's okay. a part of it, washing your hands, and not just when the teacher's there. Uh. <laughs> and that's a big part of it. It's not just washing your hands when someone's looking. It's washing your hands as a, you know, it's other, this is about behavior change, like in really ingraining behavior change, and it's difficult to do. It's a, very hard to change your behavior when you're set in your ways and it's been comfortable or you've been okay with it and mum and dad and grandma and grandpa have done the same thing for years. Why do you want to do it different? So there's that ingraining the behavior change about hand washing, about general uh, toilet hygiene, about telling the teacher if it's broken. In India and many countries, kids don't speak up. Ah. They've got to be taught to speak up. Go and tell someone if it's broken because if they don't tell someone it's broken, like before you know it, the next one's broken and suddenly the whole system fails. Right. Um, Cleaning and maintenance is another big part of the education program. Like we, when we first started doing this, the first project, we we told the the school we were working with, the toilets need to be cleaned every day. And even the Rotarians we were talking to over there at the time were saying, oh, "Look, once a week will be okay." And I said, "You know, that might be okay in your home toilet for some people, uh, right. but but in a school toilet, I bet if you go to a uh, Say a local private school in in the US or in Australia, UK, wherever. Ask how often they clean the toilet. It'll be two or three times a day. Yeah, there's someone in and out all the time cleaning it. And there's always and some kid who's gonna who's gonna put a roll of toilet paper in it and stuff it up yeah, just to be a kid, just to see what happens. Yeah, exactly. right. But but keeping them clean, firstly by keeping it clean, they last longer, and you have much less money to spend on maintenance when when things start breaking. Well, and I and I have to say that's been a theme through now both of these podcasts that I think there's just this attitude of it's not all that important until it's really important kind yeah. of kind of thing. And yeah. the only thing I can think of is that of course when this is being recorded, I mean here in America we're all back to wearing masks again because of this yeah. fabulous Delta thing. And yet uh-huh. the CDC here in America keeps on saying wash your hands. Wash mm. your hands. And it's yeah. funny that, you know, you're talking about that this this other country in India or something like that. It's like, God, you're having to teach these guys education. And my mind is kind of going, well, no kidding. It makes a lot of sense. I got a lot of Americans that aren't washing their hands. We all, we're all going through this around the world at the moment. And it's so mm-hmm. interesting in the West for us to be given the hand washing lesson now. Yeah. And, real, and you know, I, I, I'm a member of a golf club out here. And, uh, uh, if I go to the, the bathroom in the golf club, I'll standing at the uh, at the mirror, washing my hands or putting some sunscreen on or whatever, and I'll see guys walking out, even from the cubicles, just walking straight out. Because we just don't think are, about it. And then and then there are others. Well, you know, we're just going to go and play golf. I don't need to wash my hands for that. And and, and then there are others who'll walk up to the tap. And I'm sure some of the guys listening to your podcast now will. It, will blush when they hear this because they'll recognize it in themselves at times. Walk up to the tap, flick the tap on, throw their hand under the tap, flick it off and leave. 
shaking shaking a little bit of water off their hands. Oh, I think sure. they just wash their and think they just wash their hands. They can just wash their hands. They made their hands wet, which actually makes it easier to pick up bacteria that are on the surfaces nearby. Okay, wait a sec. So 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 those people, and we've all done it. Come on, yeah. people. We've all gone in, <laughs> splashed a little water, maybe taken a paper towel so we look good. But you're saying that doesn't count, that it, it actually can make things worse. Because you're not washing anything off. You're just, you're just adding. You're just wet. getting it wet. <laughs> and if it's wet, you know, it's much easier to get things dirt on your hand. If you put a wet hand in the dirt or if you put a dry hand in the dirt, the wet one's going to be covered in more. So the, the, um, Lessons that UNICEF give to kids and that, that we've adopted as well, giving to kids is the idea of you know, 20 seconds is what it takes to wash your hands properly with, with soap. Uh, if you have hot water, soap and hot water, soap and warm water, you know, that, that's ideal. But of course, many places they don't have access to, right. to hot water in the taps, and that's fine. You don't need the hot water. What you need is uh, proper sudsing. So, you know, you've got soap in, soap in your hand, you get the soap a little bit wet. In most parts of the world, you don't just let the tap keep running while you're doing this because right. water is precious. So you you wet your hands, you wet the soap, you turn the tap off, and then you scrub your hands front, back, under the nails, middle of the palm, every finger. Giving how often do people wash their hands like that in the West? Oh, never. Unless, you're a, unless you're a surgeon, you're not doing it. Exactly. But but the kids that we're working with in India, they're all being taught to wash their hands like that. And when you think about it, they need it because it's. Uh, they don't use toilet paper in India and they use their hand. And if you are washing your hand properly, that's absolutely fine. If you're not washing your hand properly, then you're actually, you're creating higher risk of spread of pathogens. And this, this idea using your hand to, to clean yourself after using a toilet, something that most people in the West feel a bit grossed out about as well. Absolutely. You know, but that's but, okay. You talked about menstruation the last podcast, and we've talked about fat think, blubs. Yeah, so yeah. I think we've gotten everybody. Just we'll just put a disclaimer not to listen to this before breakfast, lunch, or dinner. But I, I should, yeah. Well, that's right. Don't be eating your breakfast now. If you are, I'm sorry, it's too late now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, the the thing about not using toilet paper in a country of 1.3 billion, how are we going to provide toilet paper? There's not enough. You can't do it. I mean, imagine it's it's, in, it's inconceivable. In fact, their solution is the right solution. And as much as as much as I hate to say, it, and I don't practice it here in Australia, we we are paper users here. Mm -hmm. But uh, in fact, the their method of cleaning is actually much more effective than ours. Water, water is the water used properly is the best cleanser. So you have these toilets in. Ethiopia, you're talking about washing your hands. How do they wash your hands if you're using a compostable toilet? Uh, so what what I've seen in other parts of Africa, and I don't know if that, I think it's what we're going to be using in Ethiopia. We're still working through to that stage of the project. Mm -hmm. uh, you come outside of the toilet and there may be, uh, depending on access, accessibility of water in the in that local area, there may be some wash basins outside the toilet. Mm -hmm. um, they use sometimes. Sometimes they use what's called a tippy tap. Uh, which yeah, well, is, I love the name. Okay, a tippy, tap, <laughs> a tippy tap is basically an old Coca-Cola bottle, like a, okay, you know, a two-liter bottle, which has been filled with water and had uh, a hole punched in a couple of holes punched in one end, mm -hmm. and it hanging on a string just from a tree. Okay, and you tip it. And water comes out, and then you stop tipping, and the water doesn't come out. 
And so they're just you just get the water you need at that time. As soon as you stop, as soon as you let go of it, it stops running. So you don't waste any more water, water than, than you don't waste what you're not using. Um, and it's, as you can imagine, extremely low cost. Yeah. It costs nothing. If you can find a secondhand Coca-Cola bottle, it costs you nothing. There's quite a few out there, you know, <laughs> so maybe, maybe we could find some. So I'm gonna switch, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um and and get to some of your more public face. Uh, you do have a TED Talk, and I'm going to put the link up to your TED Talk. That's how I was right. first brought to your attention. Uh, Mark did a TEDx talk. Was that in Australia? Was that in Melbourne? Was in, in New Zealand, actually. It was in New Zealand. New Zealand. A beautiful, beautiful place. Wow. So, and it's a little known fact is that my partner and I uh, knew Richard Saul Worman who started Ted. So we have a very close connection to Ted here in this household. So it was great to see you on that Ted stage. So I, I ask everybody to, you can either go to the Ted app or you can go to YouTube and look up uh, Mark Bala. And if you put up Mark Bala forward slash toilets, it gets you right there just to let you know, but that will, that also gets you, but then you also wrote this book and you've talked about it a couple of times and and I am in support of all Rotarians, especially ones that decide to even write a book. Why did you decide to write a book about toilets? And the name of the book for everybody is Toilet Warrior. And I'm going to put the link to uh, his book on the website. But tell us why you decided to write a book about toilets. I mean, and don't say because no one hadn't written a book about toilets because, I mean, maybe that's true. But why would you want to write a book about toilets? It's not necessarily a typical topic. <laughs> So first of all, there are other books out there about this issue, and, the, and that is fact, true. The, it's actually not about toilets. It's about the. It's very much about the. The years leading to where to when I wrote it, and that my experience in uh, discovering the issue, starting to do something about it, not knowing where to begin, being introduced to Rotary, and then learning about the power of the Rotary Foundation and. Uh, meeting incredible people all over the world at international conventions and so on. But, of course, the central theme was my focus on uh, sanitation and particularly the impact it has on girls who are thinking about dropping out of school or who have dropped out of school. And by solving the sanitation problem, solving the toilet problem, we're removing the barrier to girls continuing their education. So that, I guess the broader focus is, is really actually about helping girls stay in school for longer. That's really what it's about for me. Um, Isn't that amazing? A toilet. A toilet can mm. educate the world. And look, it's not the only it's not the only barrier. There are many barriers in many sure. countries to girls staying in school. Um, you know, some countries, well, many countries in the world, you know, girls are married off young. They're not seen as being as valuable as boys. Um, there are you know, some girls even in some parts of the world, they they get beaten up if they're better educated than the men. So there are, there are a lot of complicated issues here, but right. one of the barriers, one of the barriers that keeps on rearing its head globally in, in the developing world is poor sanitation. And so it just felt like a, a really tangible problem. And uh, when I first learned about it, I assumed it was the only reason that girls were dropping out of school. And then it was yeah. like, what on earth is going on here? How is this possible? Uh, and it felt tangible because there was this opportunity once we found out about this school needing 15 toilets. Hey, we can help 500 kids. We can actually do something. Right. So that's, that's where it started. And the, I guess the writing the story was the, 
the inspiration for that was just how inspired I was by by the incredible power of the Rotary Foundation. Yeah. To be able to come into this organization with, I'd raised a couple of thousand dollars in a little charity I'd set up called We Can't Wait mm-hmm. and didn't really know what to do with it. Then I met this Rotarian in India and from there then I joined Rotary and then started to, and within months of joining, suddenly we had the money together to build these 15 toilets and people in India were just coming together to make it happen and, and it was like miraculous. I couldn't believe it. And then we went on to global grant scale, you know, not helping 500 kids but 5,000. Now we've helped 120,000 kids. Uh, I, I found all that stuff just so mind-blowingly inspirational. I was excited. Every every time I have a conversation with people, I'm talking toilets. These days I'm also talking COVID a bit, unfortunately. I think we're all talking COVID all the time. Isn't it nice we can just get back to toilets here pretty soon? Oh, yeah, so- to toilets, that's right. But, yeah, so that's where it started. Yeah, and, and it's I, and then, please. Yeah, then my um, I've sort of been talking about. I got to write this down sometime. And my daughter pulled me aside. <clears throat> must be three years ago now, and said, "Stop talking about it and write it." Ah. Uh, and uh, it was October, and in November there was something called NaNoWriMo being run on the internet, which is called National Novel Writing Month. And I looked it up. And the idea was to write 50,000 words in 30 days. Wow. And my daughter said, just do it. And I said, this isn't really a novel. I said, well, I don't think that matters. It's, uh, it's uh, I guess you'd call it creative nonfiction. It has a, I like it. it has, okay. It has a creative, so it has a creative style. It does. You know? uh, and it's, it's very chatty. People uh, who read it tell me over and over again, it sounds like they're, listening to me talking now or listening to my TED talk. Just a, It's a TED talk on steroids. It's got a lot more content than the 15-minute TED talk. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I sat down on the 1st of November that year and I wrote 52,000 words by the end of November. Uh, and, and, the, and an angel got its wings, according to your computer there. So like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. So we've learned about Toilet Warrior. We've learned about your TED Talk. We've learned about how we can help you. But and I and I've taken up, you know, a lot of your time, literally, and two weeks of your life. But there is a traditional question that um, I want to ask that people are are used to to uh, hearing about, and that's when we talk about the four way test. But how, when you're working with toilets, I mean, the easiest one is, is it fair to all concerned kind of seems like an easy one, but how do you take that four-way test and take it into the world of toilets? Be it people like me who are gobsmacked that there is even a problem or people that live with this problem of not having proper hygiene solutions. Like how does a four-way test fit in all this work that you're doing? Well, gosh, I guess, here we go. Is it the truth? It's true. There's a billion people without uh, without toilets and they need them and giving it to them, giving toilets to them will improve their lives and give them longer life expectancy and, and have broader impact on their entire communities and their way of life. Um, is it fair to all concerned? I think we talked about certainly fairer to girls and women if mm-hmm. they have uh if they had the ability to, and they're you know, somewhere private to uh, to go to the toilet. For, for men and boys, it's less important uh, if they can use a tree or a wall, but, of course, that's only if they're doing number ones, not number twos. Right. Um, uh, will it build goodwill? I have made friends around the world 
through this toilet thing. <laughs> so uh, obviously, which leads to better uh, friendships, uh, one would the, say. The yeah. friendships, uh, I mean, you know, the, I, when I go to India these days, and I miss my friends in India so much over the last year and a half. But when I go there, I don't stay in hotels anymore. I stay with my friends. And that wow. I've even been invited to stay with the two guys in the slum who uh, you may remember introduced right. me to this whole thing. They've, they've told me I've got to come and stay. They've promised me no rats will run across my bed that night. And I'm going to take them up on it one day. Um, Congratulately. Do it. What the heck? Right? <laughs> absolutely. And is it beneficial to all concerned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that comes, you know, it, it going to change the lives for everyone, not just for the girls, for everyone, for boys and, and men and everyone. This is, this changes everything. Yeah. And it's kind of the, the, I know we talked about in the first time, you know, when you throw a rock into a pond, you get that ripple effect. And, you know, in our two conversations now, we've talked about that as far as our, our focuses in rotary, a toilet hits almost every single one of our spotlights from, you know, prenatal care to healthy water, to education, to, I mean, eco to, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. The world, my thought, like I started the second chapter, uh, second podcast, my, my thinking about toilets is never going to be the same again. And, uh, you have done that to me, and I'm very honored mm. that you have opened my <laughs> eyes. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show twice. I so appreciate it. You're most welcome. I did have one more thing I just wanted to let your listeners know about. And that please, is with, please. With my book, uh, when the very first copy came off the presses, I picked it up on the way to speak at a Rotary Club here in Melbourne, Uh huh. and I sold the book that day, 25 Australian dollars. That's about 18 US dollars in my in my pocket and I hopped in my car and I put the, the the money on the seat next to me and I was driving home and on the way home I realized that the money didn't really belong to me. It belonged to the kids that the story was about and it belonged to the Rotary Foundation that had made it possible. And so I decided then that I was going to give profits from sales to of the book to the Rotary Foundation. Wow. And as a result, I've been able to add three, uh, so two sapphires and a ruby now to my BHF as a result of sales of this book. Wow. So, uh, so, you know, if you go out and buy this book, you are contributing already to a project, to the Rotary Foundation, and you're also learning something, uh, a lot more than people will have learned from these two two sessions we've had together because it, it seriously, it, it goes into some depth. It's not all good news. It's a, it's a what's and all look at, at the whole experience, but with obviously a very... Promising future being created by by what the Rotary Foundation has allowed us to do. Yeah. Sometimes warts aren't all that bad. Sometimes yeah. warts can be good. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for being on the show twice. Like I said, it is truly an honor to meet you. I'm going to, like I said, tell everybody about the book and, of course, the TED Talk, and I'll have those links up on the Facebook page. And who knows, I might even bug you to... Uh, get up a little later and come talk uh, to my Rotary Club on, on Woodby Island. I would love them to hear your story, I'd too. love to. I'd love to, yeah. Okay. You have to be asked once, I mean. All right. Sounds like a plan. Thank you Thanks. so much, my dear. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, Mark, for joining me twice. I really appreciate it. Now, after I've talked to Mark, um, this may be too much information, but I went back up to my house where I had two bathrooms, two full bathrooms. 
They've got a shower in them and a sink and a toilet. And here in my studio, there's another full bathroom with a full bath to soak in. I don't think I'm ever going to be in any of those three places again and not be extremely grateful. Hmm. Bathrooms. I hope I got you thinking. Well, as always, I thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Tell friends about the podcast. You can get it wherever you find your podcasts. And if you'd like to hear the more musical side of me, check me out on the radio, won't you? Every Wednesday night, I'm on Rotary Radio UK right there in Europe. So um, tune me in, won't you? And hey, if you've got a Rotarian that I should know about, let me know. RotarianPod at gmail.com. All right, then. Until next week, take care of yourself and the world around you, and I'll hear you next time on the I'm a Rotarian podcast. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye-bye.